Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Well, today's uh, title is called A Work of Grace. Um, as Dan said, my name is Neil, uh, Neil hunter Callum. Uh, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Becky, for eight years, just this past week. We celebrated our anniversary uh, and God's faithfulness uh, to us in that time. And we have two beautiful children, uh, Joshua on the right-hand side, aged two years old, and Ezra, who's just eight weeks old, so he's sleeping in the front, praise God. Um, but yes, he's, uh, uh, the, the joys and challenges that come with the newborn as well, it's fantastic. We've been at Mosaic Church now for about 10 years and consider, I really consider it an honor and privilege today to be able to serve you and be able to share God's word with you today um, and be able to call you, you our family and um, whether you're visiting today or uh, come from another place to be part of our family, um, it's just a, it's such a joy to be able to share this with you. Um, so today we're going to be looking at First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 and 12, continuing our current series in that book. Uh, if you have a Bible or an app, I'd love you if you could turn uh, to it with me, uh, or you can follow on the screen uh, behind me. So it's First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. Right. Uh, today we'll be looking at the topic of work. Uh, I just want to share a quick uh, good news testimony of what God's just been doing in our, in our lives, uh, and I'll hopefully bring, uh, yeah, it'll bring uh, power to what I'm saying today. Uh, as Dan said, we're moving to um, Istanbul, Turkey, in, a f- in five weeks' time, and uh, having a newborn's quite, uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a shock to the system, uh, but uh, as many parents know, but. Um, we're getting ready to move abroad, and uh, when you rent out somewhere in Istanbul, the places are all unfurnished, so we have to start afresh from everything. We have to get everything um, started again from the beginning, um, right down from the small detail to the biggest details, ovens, refrigerators, everything. And um, we had an email this uh, past Wednesday from a family who've unfortunately had to leave uh, Istanbul, Turkey, and they put all the things in a, in a container uh, in storage, and they said to us, uh, for a fraction of the cost, would you like to have all our things uh, ready for whenever you move to Istanbul in five weeks' time so that you can set house and you can, uh, from day one, have what you need already? And we were like, yes, please, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're a provider. Thank you that you know our needs even before uh, we ask you, or, or in our case, we have been specific with God as well. But thank you, Father, for being a provider for us. And I just want that uh, theme to run through our today, that we have a Father who's our provider. We have a Father who uh, knows what we need. Even when we look at what we lack, He knows what we need, and His resources are enough for us today. Um, so 
Today we'll be looking at a topic of work, and for this preach, I was reviewing my CV, dusting it off, looking at my work history, and um, I'm just going to go through a few uh, jobs that I had, and I wrote down on my CV. The first one, uh, if you could go into the picture, it's not a picture of me, the rest of the pictures are of me. The first one was uh, flipping burgers, so prior to attending university in Belfast, I worked in a bowling alley, I flipped burgers, I served drinks, and uh, I worked uh, long hours doing that, was my, and that was one of my first ever jobs, uh, doing that. Uh, go to the next picture. I then came over to Leeds. I studied at what was then called Leeds Met University. And uh, I studied music technology. And I was quite a, um, a technical person in regards to sound engineering. Then after that, uh, I got married. And um, after the honeymoon, I didn't actually have a job to go back to. But um, I was like to Becky, my wife, who was a bit stressed out at that time. You, know, you haven't got a job. We're just fin- finishing honeymoon here. Whereas, you know, what are you going to do? I was like, God's a provider. A little bit, you know, a little bit worried about it, but I was trusting God. God's a provider. After five days, I got a temping job uh, in doing a, um, office administration. Uh, and I had much screen time, so much so that I turned out to be a robot at the end. I had square, it felt like I had square eyes, but yes, I did a office administration uh, for about two years. I was then laid off that temporary post, and then I pursued a career in teaching. I was a teaching assistant for two years, then resat my science GCSE, and then pursued a career in primary school teaching, where I've just finished my first uh, teaching post of four years. And look, teachers, we do all fun things. We have albino Burmese pythons draped on us, and you know what? I was terrified of snakes, but when you see 30 children here, aged five to six, putting a snake on you, you have to do it as well. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's sort of my uh, teaching, uh, my work history. Um, What's next for us as a family? Um, as Dan said, we're moving to Istanbul and Turkey in September in five weeks' time, just over five weeks' time. And for the first two years, we'll be learning language, dedicating our lives to learning language, learn as much about the culture, and then we'll be part of a, a church planting team. And then after those two years, I'll be looking to find a role in teaching again uh, to, continue, to continue to model to others uh, in the church what work looks like and how we can model that to people there. Um, so some of you may be thinking right now, that's great, Neil. You've talked about your work history. Uh, great for you, but what does that mean to me? Um, it means that whether you were like me, either in a work position, looking for work, which I really get, is a, just looking for work is a job in itself, the time you have to put into that. Um, whether you're unable to find work due to health reasons, um, I do understand that as well. I was off uh, work due to stress in teaching career, as many teachers unfortunately have been. Maybe you've just moved to the city, or maybe you're a student here. Hopefully, that's my prayer, hopefully you will find, you can find fulfillment uh, from the season of life that you're in at the moment, and that you can be encouraged that uh, God's speaking to you today. So, why are we talking about work from this passage? Let's look at the context. So, we go into the next slide. This is a church of new believers in Jesus. Paul had to leave quickly for his life due to persecution, people uh, not wanting him to be there and not wanting the gospel to be preached uh, to the Thessalonica, uh, to people in Thessalonica. This passage, this scripture, is a letter of Paul writing back to the church in Thessalonica. And here, Paul is talking to a particular group of people, uh, to the I'm not sure if I pronounced this right, but Ataktoi. That's how I'm saying it phonetically as a teacher. Ataktoi. Uh, and this was a, were a group in the church who weren't working. So we all might have our stereotypes of thinking uh, who won't work. I'm thinking of maybe when I was a teenager, um, I could have worked, but I chose not to. And uh, 
the tactoi, there were people who, those who could work, but are not. They were deemed as unruly, they were deemed as disorderly, they were deemed as undisciplined. Uh, and we later on, in chapter 5, verse 14, it says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, so they're tactoi, and disruptive, and encourage, uh, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So Paul is speaking to a specific group of people here in the Thessalonica church who are, could work but choosing not to. And we all know we need to work, so why talk about it today? Uh, 19th century English Christian uh, writer and apologist Dorothy Sayers uh, wrote an essay entitled uh, Why Work? And it was quite revolutionary in, those t- in that time. Uh, she thinks that people in modern society are suffering from a lack of a biblical view on work. And she states, The modern doctrine of work has replaced the biblical doctrine of work. Work has become something you do for a living through which you make a living and make money. So you can then do what you really want to do. Does that make sense? She's saying that people are just working to make money, to, to fill a lifestyle, so then they can then do what they really want to do. Do you relate to this? Do you feel like work is just something you have to do for a living? Is there more to work than just making money, having a status, and finding our identity in? I would like to say and argue a resounding yes today. And today we're going to be looking at God's perspective on work, and we're going to look at two practical principles. Finding work that looks to help others, and to know that all work has value. And then we're going to move on to two motivational principles. To mirror your master God, who is a creator, and working to please God. So let's look at the first uh, principle today, practical principle. Finding work that looks to help others. The primary reason you work is to help other people, not for status or for money. Back in the, uh, in the passage we were reading back today, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9-12, you could read verses 9-10 to 10 and think they're just about love, where Paul's talking about how you've loved God's family throughout Macedonia, uh, yet I urge you to love them more and more. And then you could read verses 11-12, to 12 where it's talking about work, where Paul's saying, lead a quiet life. Mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you to do, so that you may win the respect of outsiders. But in essence, verses 11 to 12 follow on and build on love, saying that love is expressed through work. Say that again, love is expressed through work. Paul is saying to the church, you know how to love, but unless you're working, you're not loving. Say that again, you know how to love, but unless you're working, you're not loving. Working is the way you love. He gives us a hint at the end as well. In verse 12 it says, so that you do not need to be dependent upon anybody. The outworking of this means that you won't be a drain on the local community. Instead, you are part of the body, you're part of the local community, and what you bring matters to people. What you bring, nobody else can bring because it's you, it's your specific uh, gifts, your talents, and what you bring is vital so that the whole body, the whole community flourishes. Your, vo- your role is vital. Get a job that makes you useful, that helps other people. Now, I have to say there's a caution here. 
People think I'm making chairs or uh, I'm selling cars or I'm um, selling something over the telephone. This isn't helping anyone really. It's just a means to an end so I can make money so I can really truly do what I want to do. Instead, I want to go to a country and build schools. I want to be a preacher and and preach to where uh, people haven't heard the gospel before. I want you to recognize something. All work, which doesn't necessarily have to be skilled work or highly paid work, is helpful work, thus good work. For example, go to the next slide. When I go on holiday, I have to drive somewhere, be it an airport or uh, might be a holiday home. Look at the picture here. Someone had to build the road. You might not think that's a very exciting job, but, or somebody might think it is an exciting job. Uh, but somebody had to build the road. Somebody has to maintain the road when there's cracks in the road or potholes. Somebody has to go and maintain the road. And somebody has to police the road to make sure it's safe uh, so there's justice and uh, that people can travel safely. If it wasn't for that, it would take me a lot longer uh, to get to my holiday destination. You see what I'm saying? Work that's good work helps. Not necessarily highly paid work or highly skilled work, but work through which you're promoting the common good. So in summary, work is an expression of love by helping others. We're going to move on to practical guideline number two. Uh, To know that all work has value. In verse 11, Paul says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. Why did Paul say this? Well, the Thessalonian uh, people, the Atatoi, uh, uh, were living in the opposite to it. So Paul is addressing it. The idle Thessalonians were experiencing a disquiet, a lack of ease. A, you could even say a boredom. They tended to complain a lot, bother other people. And Paul says the solution to this, to this group of people, is to work. Work isn't necessarily paid. It could be a wide spectrum of jobs. For example, it might be volunteering. It might be being a parent, a grandparent, studying, living on the dole due to circumstances, being retired, etc., etc. There's a wide spectrum of jobs. What about those, Neil, who are unemployed, can't get a job? What about those who, due to health reasons, uh, can't work? Firstly, I just want to say that I can relate to you in some sense. In the past, I've been unemployed, uh, on a dole, receiving state benefits, and I've also had time off work due to uh, stress and illness. When I was unemployed, applying for work during this time and obtaining it was quite a stressful time, and uh, yeah, it led me to a little bit of depression as well. It was a full-time job in itself, applying for positions, having to write CVs that are tailored to a certain job, going through the interview process, and not being successful. If this is you, know that Paul is not addressing you in being unemployed. God understands your frustration. And I want you to know that he is with you during this time. When I was unemployed, I put my identity and status in what I did instead of knowing my identity as a child of God. When I finally realized this, I was able to know that I'm accepted by God and I could then start to be myself to other people. I, being accepted means it attracts being, wanting to be accepted by others as well. Just like hope attracts hope. Being accepted, being yourself, means you can be the person God's created you to be. And for some of you today, 
you know, God wants to set you free to, to be able to be accepted by him so that you can be yourself in situations where you haven't felt you could be yourself before. Likewise, for those of you who can't work to, uh, due to health reasons, God is not saying, you better get back to work. This isn't what I've got planned for you. No, not at all. Uh, he's a father who wants you to know that you're his child. And he wants to use, to use you in your circumstances to reach out to others who are the, either in the same place as you, as you or in a similar place as you. Because nobody else can reach out to those people because they're not in the same place as you. For those of you who are wanting to seek uh, to find a job, uh, here are some questions I wrote down to hopefully spur you on to encourage you. Think about this. What gets a fire, a passion in your belly when you think, oh, I'd love to do this? What can I do that leads to more peace and justice in the world around me? Or it might be just as simple as, as it was for me. What am I interested in? When I was laid off work uh, from the office administration post, uh, I was in the crossroads, really. I asked myself, what do I enjoy doing? What am I interested in? Because I didn't know what the future held for me. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't have a, a career career path, or I thought, oh, I, re- yeah, I, was, I was a bit muddled up and confused. And so I said to myself, what am I interested in? At the time, uh, in Mosaic Church, we were in a warehouse, and uh, the Sunday school was called Mo Kids, and I really enjoyed, and I still do jo- enjoy, working with children. I thought, could I pursue a, uh, something in this role, in this way? And so I acquired a teaching post uh, just down the road in Hunslet uh, as a teaching assistant, and I worked there for two years. I then had to retrain, and uh, I acquired a GCSE grade C, uh, so then I could then pursue a, a career in primary school teaching, where I've now been able to help hundreds of children. And I just praise God for his faithfulness, because he's always been faithful and believing in me, so that I could then pursue the things that he has for me. Let's look back at the text, though. Uh, verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. We're going to look at that phrase. Why does Paul say to work with your hands? This was like a, a metaphorical smack in the face to Greek and uh, Roman dominant culture in those days. Uh, the Greeks and Romans, they believed that God was, uh, they believed that work was degrading, but that some kinds of work were more degrading than others. The Greeks believed that if you got into work, if the mind and the arts, then that wasn't too physical and thus not degrading. But Paul is saying to work with your hands. He is saying to the Christians to remind them that just because they live in a culture where work, such as physical and manual work, was deemed as degrading, Paul instructs them not to be shaped by the culture in this way. We all have or have had jobs that we held in culture uh, and we set in high esteem. Uh, jobs over, that we see and set in high esteem over other jobs. It might be due to the responsibility given to them or the, st- the status of it or the, mon- uh, the amount of money they get from it, such as lawyers, doctors, and footballers. Um, Paul and I want to encourage us today not to think uh, like modern culture in this respect, but to see all work as good. 20th century theologian, Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple said, look at the Bible, creation, 
consummation, incarnation, resurrection. What do they all have in common? God with his hands in the dirt. In creation, next slide. In creation, beginning of time, Eastern Greek thinking was that God isn't physical. In creation, God was a master builder who made the heavens and the earth. He formed man from the dust. At consummation, which means the coming together of the end of time, God is cleaning up after a great battle between good and evil, and he is building a city where he will dwell with his people, God with his hands in the dirty end. In, in, in the incarnation, which means God taking on a physical form, God becomes physical as the Son of God comes and takes on flesh. Jesus, God with us, is born. In the, in the resurrection, where Jesus died and rose uh, from the dead, God redeems the physical by giving Christians a body that will not rot, be tortured with sickness, or face death anymore. Hallelujah. What both Paul and William Temple are saying is that God values work, even work that is physical, uh, manual labor. Not like the Greeks or the Romans thought. For example, Jesus himself was a carpenter. God is saying that all work has dignity. Whatever your work is today, all work has dignity. All work has value. No work is degrading. So we've looked at the two practical points. Uh, finding work that looks to help others and to know that all work has value. Now we're going to look at the two motivational principles as well. To marry your master God who's a creator and to work to please God. So the first one, marry your master God who's a creator. It's a bit like Ron Seal advert. is exactly what it says in the tin. I want you to very simply put, your job is to mirror God who is a creator, who loves this world. We're not being redeemed out of this world to somewhere new, but we're being redeemed for this world. In the book of Revelation, verse 21, uh, in verses 1 to 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a, beautiful, as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will all be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Amazing. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Praise God. Uh, Looking at this verse one particular, a more accurate uh, translation for the word uh, new is renewed. It comes from the Greek word kainos. And you can read it. If you go back, then I saw a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. God is saying... God is redeeming creation, and we're being redeemed for this world. What else did God invent? He invented humans with souls and bodies, and he's redeeming our souls and bodies too. Therefore, all work is valuable. That is the first motivational principle, to know that we are called to mirror our master God who is a creator. And so, how are my family and I doing this? Well, on the 12th of September uh, this year, we're moving to Istanbul in Turkey to be part of a church planting team uh, to a city that has approximately 15 to 20 million people, maybe even more with the uh, 
with, the Syrian ref- with a lot of Syrian refugees moving into the city as well. There are only about 6,000 Christians in the nation of Turkey, evangelical Christians, with a population of approximately 84 million people. So that's 0.01% of the population. We're moving because we want to bring the redeeming love of God to a place where they've never heard it before. Just like it says in Romans 10, verse 14 to 15. How then can they call upon the one who they've not believed in? How then can they believe in the one who they've not heard? How then can they hear without someone preaching to them? How then can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And God's calling us to Turkey, but he's calling you to serve the city of Leeds. Your feet are beautiful, and God wants to use you, just like he's using us to go to Turkey, to reach your local city here. God has called us uh, long before the recent unrest, as we've all seen in the news. He's been uprooting painfully, but I thank God, by the grace of God, fear in our lives as a family, so that we can move in peace, so that we can then bring the peace of God to other people in Istanbul and in Turkey and into their lives, into their households. The peace that we have from God and he's given to, our, to us to share with other people. Peace that we have from knowing his son Jesus, that we have peace between us and them. We're no longer enemies, but he's drafted us in as his children and he wants us to share his love with others. After the two years, I'll be teaching part-time even though, you might have read in the news, 21,000 teaching jobs uh, have uh, licenses have been purged by the government. God has sent us and will make a way. I'm looking not at my lack, but I'm looking at his resources. He's a father who provides for us. We trust him and I'm trusting that he's in control. I just want to say, Mosaic Church family, thank you for standing with us along this journey. We really couldn't do this without you, with your encouragement along the way and your love towards us. We're going to miss you all. And we will continue to pray for you as a church family to mirror your master God, to mirror Jesus, to bring life to this city of Leeds that so desperately needs it. And with everything that you do, put your hands to work for him. And finally, the second motivational uh, point, working to please God. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, it states, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You have to work to please God and not your boss. Some of you might think, oh, I just, when I go to work, I have to work to please my boss, the person who pays, the bill, who pays me. No, I want to encourage you today. Work to please God, not your boss. God becomes your boss. He becomes your audience. He becomes your supervisor. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 7 to 8, Paul is speaking to people about work. He says to them, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And so God wants to change our perspective to serve him. Some would say, Neil, that's terrible. I couldn't cut any corners. I couldn't sneak off to the loo every, uh, every hour for 15 minutes so that I can get my time. And, but if that was happening, God would be looking at me. 
I got that illustration because I used to do that, uh, shamefully. This was me once. But we'll be missing the point. Living in order to please God is different in order to appease God. I'll say that again. Living in order to please God is different in order to appease God. You could work very hard. You can make a lot of money, have good self-esteem, and have an identity in yourself and what you do in, in order to earn God's love. Plenty of people in this world have done that. They're very moral, very diligent, very good people. But this isn't what it means to please God. And this isn't mean what it means to please. To please means to live for the sheer joy of giving pleasure for God. Living for the sheer joy of giving pleasure for God. I've got a great quote here from a Protestant reformer, Jonathan Edwards. He said, Unless you're saved by the grace of God, unless you know you've been saved by Jesus' works, then when you go to help the poor or to help others in their job, as good as it seems to be, you're doing it out of self-interest. You never help the person in front of you just for the sheer joy of the person or for the job. You're doing it to get something from God. But if you know God loves you through what Jesus has done, if you know that God has embraced you because of Jesus' work, that you're in, that you're accepted. Now, I do what I do because of the sheer joy of pleasing my master. I don't love people in order to get something from them. I love people just for them and themselves. I don't help the poor to feel good about myself, but because the poor are valuable. I don't do things for God to get things from him. I do it simply for the joy of what he's done for me. And until you know that you're saved not by works, which means earning God's love by what we do, but you're saved by grace, you're saved by the unconditional love and favor of God through his son Jesus uh, coming and dying uh, on the cross for your behalf because we can never earn God's love. We always fall short of his standards. His standard is holiness. His standard is perfection. We always fall short of that. But Jesus came and lived the perfect life we were meant to live. Jesus came and said, not what my will be done, Father, in heaven, uh, but not my will be done on earth, but your will be done, Father. And he gave his life up freely so that we could come to know God. We can come to be forgiven by him and enter into uh, his rest and enter into a life knowing God. Unless we know that, everything you will do will be filled with an anxiety and you will burn out. That's the great irony. Until you work, not for your sake, but for God's sake, you won't feel fulfilled in your work. That's why Jesus said, you have to lose your life in order to find it. And you're doing really well today. Here's my final illustration from Chariots of Fire. This was a, uh, the synopsis of this is based on the true story of two British men. Hands up, who's seen this movie? So a few of you. Uh, based on the true story of two British men, Eric Little and Harold Abrams, competing in the 100-meter race in the 1924 Olympics. Eric Little said, When I run, I feel his pleasure. Remember in chapter 4, verse 1, the first Thessalonians, he says, live to please God. Verse 11 continues to say, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. 
attend to your own business, and work with your hands. Eric says that God made him fast. When I answer my calling and seek to please him, I know that I am his child, and I seek to please him. Harold Abrams, the other competitor, said, when I run, I have 10 seconds to justify my, my existence. I have just 10 seconds to justify my existence. And do you see it? The two men working hard, one from joy, the other without. The point of the movie, there was a limit to Little's work. He ran for the sheer joy of giving pleasure to God. Not because he wanted to appease him, but because he wanted to please him. He knew he was God's child and that he was already loved by him. And so today, we've looked at two practical principles. Finding work that looks to help others, to know that all work has value. We've looked at mirroring your master God, who is a creator, and working to please God. And I just want, if we can invite the band back up, for lead us in time response. As I was praying for you this, uh, for today, some of you, you need to know the love of the Father, calling you his child so that you can work to please him just for the sheer joy of doing it. Others today, you need to know that your work has value. What you do not only matters to civilization, but ultimately to God, your master. The Holy Spirit wants to remind you that your identity is not in your job, your identity is in him, a child of God. For others, as I've been praying for you, some of you may feel like I've been in the past, that you have a cloud of darkness over your life, maybe a depression over your life. This might have come from illness and having uh, to leave work, being turned down from job time and time again, applying for jobs. And you need to know that he has been with you all this time. He has never left or forsaken you. Just like the prophet Isaiah said, I will bestow on them a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And he wants to remove the despair in your life and place on you praise that comes from knowing his goodness today, knowing he's a good father. There are some of you who've uh, resonated with uh, working. You felt like you've just been working for yourself for the, for the next thing always, maybe working for money for status and to earn God's love. And Jesus today wants to say to you, just like in Matthew 11, verse 20 to 30, he says, come to me, all who are weary, and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And, uh, yeah, Jesus wants to give us rest today. He wants to bring his spirit in to refresh you, to reveal to you that he's your father, that he's a good father, You haven't got to look at what you lack, but look at what he's got. There's some of you as well who you might have a physical illness, maybe related to work, that you've been carrying tension in your neck and pain in the lower back, that God wants to bring healing to you today. Some of you might be somebody here who's had or been having stomach ulcers related to stress, and God wants to bring healing and, and dissolve those today as well. And so, yeah, encourage us today. Continue to look to Jesus. Look to the one who we can serve and for the sheer joy of just wanting to give him pleasure today in our worship and all of our lives. Let's continue to do that.